Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com. Hey, our, our scriptures begin with verse 1 of chapter 14. These are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eliezer the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. So the word inheritance is used like five times in these first three verses or four times. And it is the theme of this chapter. So they've crossed over Jordan, and now they're entering into inheritance. So, so our, um, the Holy Spirit's objective after the cross was to make sure that we get the inheritance Christ died to give us. And there's a determination that in this generation that we won't settle for less, that we won't make camp on the wrong side of Jordan, but we'll cross over into the full kingdom of God's blessing, the full inheritance we have as the children of God. I want everything Christ died to give me. And so that's my inheritance. I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. I'm loved. I'm called. I'm chosen. I'm adopted. I'm accepted. All of the things the Bible tells us because the Bible is so Christ at the cross died to give me an inheritance. The Bible is the revelation of that inheritance and the kingdom of God is the place where I receive my inheritance. So that's where we're at. We're, we are the Joshua generation, a crossing over generation. And for all of us through Christ, the, 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 the name Joshua is just the Old Testament word for Jesus. It means salvation by Yahweh or salvation from God. So Jesus is our our, our Joshua, okay, he's the captain of the host. And so Joshua is now leading a generation into their inheritance. Everything that Moses couldn't give them, Joshua's giving them. So everything the law couldn't give us, Jesus gives us. The limitations of the law, we crossed over by grace, and we get it, amen? So I, I, I love what Pastor Jamie has said, just a couple of things. You know, God loves you for one reason, you were born. I have an unbreakable love for my kids, my grandkids, not based on their behavior, but based on their life. I love them because they were born. I don't always approve of what they've done, but their actions can never make me stop loving them. There's nothing you can do to make God stop loving you. So our task in this life is to open up our hearts to receive that unconditional love that really shapes then our identity as the, as the sons and daughters of God. So the Bible in itself is designed in the New Testament as a book of identity, not behavior. So the, the, um, we, we can't pick certain scriptures and say, well, the Bible says don't do this. Like if you read the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters are all about who you are. Finally, in chapter 4, it says, here's what that looks like behavioral-wise. So this should happen, that should happen. Whenever we launch into behavioral change before people have identity revelation, we just put burdens on them. So whenever, I'm, I'm, you know, years ago, we've had, um, God blessed us with just this tremendous fountain of musical creativity in our church with Israel Houghton, then B.J. Putnam. B.J.'s album just came out, Love Like Fire, download it, you guys would like that. Uh, my, my, my son, Tim Maiden, is an R&B artist from New York City. If you like that kind of music, he's on Spotify, and one of the songs has a cuss word in it, forgive me for telling you to look it up, uh, but you can handle a lot of thank in Jesus' name. Um, but, but anyways, about uh, inheritance and about giftedness and about purposefulness, um, 
it, it's massively important that all of us in our lifetime die empty. And the Holy Spirit will always be awakening and, and pulling out of us the things we were born to manifest and, and to give God. But, but um, when we started, um, I, I prayed. I was coming home from church, and I was complaining about the worship leader. I was the worship leader in our church. <laughs> and uh, it was like 1990. Our church had grown to about 1,500 people. And uh, I said to the Lord on the way home, we passed a little a bar, and I said, Lord, there's better musicians in the dirty drummer there playing for 10 drunks than I have for 1,500 people. So when I got home, after I stopped pounding, the Lord started speaking to me. And he said this to me, why don't you do something about it? Command musicians to come out of darkness into my kingdom. I prayed that prayer, and the owners of the largest nightclub in Arizona got saved. They brought in the best musicians in Arizona. They all sat in our second row. Within a couple of weeks, I'm not a genius, but I figured out they need to be on the stage. I put them on the stage. And I started getting little nasty notes from church members. Pastor, that couple owns a nightclub where people drink liquor and shake their booties, and you're letting them on the stage. And uh, you're defiling the temple of God. And so I kept telling people, you know what, just give Jesus, my, my job is not to be Jesus. My job is to introduce you to him. And Jesus really is good about changing people. And when pastors try to be Jesus, they always mess up people. So I said, just give Jesus the chance to change them. Six months later, that couple called me in an emergency meeting, and I, I thought something was wrong. They were weeping their eyes out in my office. And I said, what's wrong, what's wrong? And they said, God told us to shut down our business. So they closed their nightclub after being offered $6 million to sell it. So I said, are you sure you don't want to sell it? I was adding up the tithe. $600,000. I didn't say that. I might have thought that. I didn't say it. They closed it down. That's a pretty righteous thing to do. Jesus changed them. And we didn't have to manipulate behavioral change by religious traditions because Jesus changed it from the inside out. That's the way the kingdom of God works. And, um, but anyways, um, move down. I have a message here. I've got to get, in, get into it. Verse 6 is what happens now. The tribe of Judah comes to Joshua. The children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal. And Caleb, there's Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kezanite, said to him, now, he's quoting back to Joshua. Now, God loves to hear in your prayers his word. Don't pray the problem, pray the promise. God loves to hear his word repeated back to him. You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea, the city on the other side of Jordan that was their temporary home. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea, to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him that all that was in my heart. Remember, 12 spies sent out. Joshua and Caleb were both two of those spies. Ten of them brought an evil report, so he's going to talk about that. Um, Nevertheless, my brethren, so ten other guys who went up with me, made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. That's a little play on words. Josh, or Caleb's name means wholehearted dog means forcefulness, boldness, courageous. The kind of the, the, the actual meaning is wholehearted dog. So it's just this. So he had a whole heart after God. So Moses promised me in that day, saying, Surely the land where your feet have trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's inheritance forever, because you've wholly followed the Lord my God. So 
God shows you things not to make you smarter, but God shows you things so you can have them. If you can see it, you can have it in the kingdom. So we don't want to be a collector of theology. Everything we see, God wants us to live in. So we don't want to have a massive theology in our brain and a crummy Christianity in our life. Everything we see, we're supposed to live in, in the kingdom of God, okay? We see it, we're supposed to have it. Now behold, the Lord God has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years. So he's now 85, 45 years later, since the Lord spoke that word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I am this day, 85 years old, yet I am as strong this day as on that day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so my strength is now for going out, for coming in for war. So now, therefore, give me this mountain, which the Lord God spoke in that day, for you've heard in that day how the Anakim, which is the word for giants, were there, and the cities were great and walled and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I'll be able to drive them out, as God has said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenzanite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. The name of Hebron formerly was Kerjath Arba. At the very moment they're having this conversation, that was the name of that city. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. He was a giant, the leader of giants. It was the city of giants. Because when you own it, you can name it. Okay? Everything that's under the control of the enemy will always be misidentified and misnamed. Every person, every place every generation, whatever. Then the land had rest from war. Father, I pray that you anoint me as your servant. I'm humbled to be with my dear friends in this awesome church. Anoint your word, your spirit. Fill us with revelation. Anoint your people with insight and, and destiny dreams. Anoint this moment. Show the devil who's boss in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, the most important thing in life is what you believe about God, but the second most important thing in life is what you believe about yourself. And Caleb said, those guys didn't get into the promised land because they said of their own mouth in Numbers chapter 13, they said, we saw the promised land. Sure, there was great things there, lots of grapes and blessings, but there were also giants and walled cities. And we felt like grasshoppers in their eyes. So were we in our own eyes. So because they saw themselves small, they couldn't do something big. And so God is often, his purpose is often stymied, not because of his lack of willingness, but because people don't know who they are. So in the kingdom of God, the big theme is God wants to show you who you are. You're a history maker. You're a world shaker. You're a mountain taker. You're a difference maker. You're an ambassador for Christ. You're anointed. You're accepted. You're called to make a difference. You can do all things to Christ. He strengthens you. No weapon formed against you could prosper. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And uh, so the Bible just keeps reinforcing over and over and over because the strongest, most strategic assault of the enemy against your life will always be his attempt to destroy your kingdom identity. So everything the enemy does is an attempt to steal from you who God's really called you to be. But in Christ, I, we, we come around the Father's throne. He shows us we're his sons, his daughters. And, man, we start, our faith starts blossoming, our hearts start growing, and good things start happening. Now, Caleb said, I saw something 40 years ago, and I'm claiming that place. And so I just want to say this to you. There's a mountain with your name on it. 
There's a place of inheritance in this world. Your inheritance isn't just heaven. It's to bring heaven to earth. There's a place you're called to transform. You're called to redeem. You're called to bring Christ there, okay? And so he said, there's a mountain with my name on it. And so that means that God has a purposeful destiny for all of our lives. Every person, city, family, and nation has a redemptive purpose for its existence. The redeemed people of God are called to reveal and restore those purposes in the earth. And so Caleb said this about his age. He said, my dream has kept me alive. Your destiny has the power to keep you alive when disease and death try to kill you. So your destiny is always stronger than your enemy. Your destiny is why I'm praying for people that are sentenced, that have been giving a death sentence. So people in my city send people that are dying to my church. Other churches don't know what to do with them. Well, try Church of the Nations. People gives them, you know, God gives them miracles. So all the time we're praying for people that are at death's door, and many of them are healed, not all of them, a bunch of them are, but when I'm praying for them, you know, I, just don't, I don't just pray for God to heal them, I ask for God to show me their future. So God will give them something to live for, because when you have something to live for, you can overcome death when it tries to take you before you see that. So Caleb said, I'm alive, I'm strong, I've been suspended, I've been animated from the normal processes of aging because I have an unfinished dream in God. So that's the power of destiny in your life, okay? And so he is now literally talking Joshua as an 85-year-old man into giving him an inheritance. He's so passionate about it, Joshua says, okay, man, you can have it. This is a kind of mechanism to find your destiny. Your passion is the roadmap to your purpose. So the things that awaken your passion will always be directive instruments to guide you into a heavenly purpose. Why you're here so when, whenever people are purposeless about something, it's because they're passionless. They, they've not connected those things. They've not found the things that make them tick or excite them, that motivate them. And uh, so God, God wants you to be excited about the things he has for your life. And this old man is very passionate. He said, give me my mountain. So, uh, you know, years ago I began a conversation with a friend of mine named Lance Wall now. And we were talking about how to transform nations. And we started talking about how Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade, and Lawrence Cunningham, the founder of Youth with a Mission, had a conversation 40 years ago. And they said, you know, there's really seven spheres of life. And these seven spheres make up the, the whole culture of what life is in any country and every generation. And these seven places are family and church and business and government and education, arts and media. And we spend all of our life in one or several of those spheres of, act, of activity. That's where we go through life, going through those things. And so Lance called them mountains. And so there are seven mountains. There are seven kingdoms, seven realms Seven governmental spheres. And so your life has an assignment in one or more of those mountains. So when you find your mountain, you will always have undefeatable authority and uncommon favor. So when you're in the right place, you'll always be in an abundance of grace. So when people are out of place, they're kind of in survival grace and mercy. God still loves them with them. But when you're in your place, stuff just flows. I tell people all the time, follow where favor leads you because you will always have unusual favor when you start approaching the place. Favor is an elevator. You don't have to climb your mountain. When you find your mountain, you get, you get the elevator of favor. It takes you up quickly and gives you extraordinary encounters. So in one of these seven mountains of life, God wants you to find your place. 
And so, the, so at, at, here at Church 1132, it's not just Pastor Dustin and Jamie that have destiny. You've got destiny. You're all called. Some of you are called to be working the church, in a church mountain. You're passionate. Some of you are called to be business leaders. Now, I prophesy God's going to raise up business leaders. They're going to accelerate the building program because you have to get your building up here. Thank you, front row. What, what, what do you, well, just imagine, I see another 1,000 people being added in the next 12 months. And so you either will stop growing or start building. That's your choice as a church. And so I tell you, God's going to put on the heart of business people to stand by your pastor and say, let's do something. Here, I'm going to help you with extraordinary sacrificial giving. It's good that you pour out your energies to the nation, but God wants to build you a hub here that's substantial, that's capable, a bigger fishing boat because a bigger harvest of fish is coming in. Okay? It's a little, little word for you. I hope, hope it registers with some of you. Okay? So gives you, um, give God a reason to bless your business. You dream with this pastor, and God will start doing things outside of your expectation and planning, and you'll be able to do some things, okay? So every one of those seven mountains has a stronghold. Every one of them has an inheritance. For example, in family, uh, years ago I looked up the seven nations that were in Canaan, and God said to them, um, go into Canaan, conquer those nations, and receive your inheritance. So God doesn't give us unconquered territory. He gives us territory to conquer. But the seven nations, I looked them up in uh, their, their Hebrew meaning, and, uh, and it was so cool. One of them meant discouragement. One of them meant pride. It was mountain, a mountain tribe. It's easy to see it. One of them was immorality. One of them um, was, meant corruption. It was like a marsh. It meant a marsh people. Um, one of them was fear. Um, um, so, and one of them was humanism. And so I, I, I attached them to the mountain so easy. The stronghold in families, discouragement. Stronghold in business is greed. The stronghold in government is corruption. The stronghold in education is humanism. Stronghold in the church is pride. The stronghold in, in, in the arts world is immorality. The stronghold in media is fear. So those are all the giants there. So God's not called us to avoid giants. God's called us to conquer them. So when you can conquer, the, the most powerful demonic entity you'll ever face comes from your family. When you can conquer the giant in your family, you can conquer giants in culture. When you can conquer discouragement. So the flip side of it, the inheritance of God is in family. It's blessing in business. It's riches. That comes from Revelation chapter 5. God's worthy to receive these seven things. And they're all the rewards of the seven mountains. In business, it's riches. In government, it's honor. In education, it's wisdom. Uh, in the church, it's strength. In the arts, it's glory. In media, it's power. Communication's power. I know I said a lot to you, but here's what I, I want you to know. There's something God wants you to do. There's a place of authority. There's a place of favor. There's a place of victory on this planet that God wants you to find and enter into. And so stop asking God to give you a mountain with no giants and start believing God to drive every giant out of the mountain he's called you to. Caleb's inheritance was an unconquered mountain. It had giants there. It was called Kerjath Arba. It was named after the giants. But it became Hebron, a city of refuge, and Hebron means communion. It became an important spiritual city in all of Israel's history. It wasn't born that way. It became that way because someone believed God. We, 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 we have to get, Pastor Jamie said this, or, or uh, the worship leader said this, 
God, the reason why we say things is God can't do it until you say it. And one of the things that we have to get good at is we have to stop cursing things God wants us to bless. God can't bless it until we stop cursing it. So we have to say the, the will of God, the purpose of God, and declare it in the earth. So God wants to do some amazing things. And, and so Caleb said, give me my mountain. I'm ready to take my mountain. I'm ready to fulfill my purpose. I pray that a great season of revelation just descends upon your life in this church and people start really feeling assigned. My wife has been so strategic in the mountain of family. I have this wonderful family, wonderful kids, wonderful grandkids, and really the hub of all the health of our family has been our, my wife. And she has conquered the devil. She has overcome stuff. She prayed me out of depression. She prayed my kids out of rebellion. And so she's had great authority. And that authority really reflects well. Um, because we've done, had victory in our family, it's easy for us to express in the kingdom or in the church world the power of a pathway to a victorious life. Because we've lived it. We've seen God do it. And, you know, uh, in, you know 20, uh, let me see, 23 years ago, we were building a big church building. Our church was about 4,000 people in Scottsdale. And our church treasurer embezzled $20 million. We had a building halfway up, a 4,800-seat auditorium. And so we lost everything. That man embezzled all the money we had. And he had like a savings and loan. We had all of our accounts with him. Our church grew from 4,000 to 120 people. That's the wrong way. I became depressed. Ten front-page stories, 15 uh, attorneys, six lawsuits, two, two class-action lawsuits. We became homeless. My son became a drug addict uh, uh, at 13, started doing drugs, his heart was broken. Everything that could go wrong went, went wrong for us. But Jesus helped us recover. And God gave me a fresh start. And after seven years, I, my heart started dreaming again. God told me to forgive my enemies. He said, if you would, he said, Mike, if you'll forgive them, I'll make you forget the pain they've caused you. If you'll forgive them for hurting I forgave my way into health. I forgave my way into a new life. And God's given me everything. Now, like Pastor said, it's outrageous. Nobody appreciates life more than Lazarus. My wife calls me Lazarus. Second chance, resurrected, all those things. Now, here's what I say. So as soon as I started getting healthy, automatically my heart started dreaming again, in spite of all my losses. So 15 years ago, about 14 and a half years ago, I started a new church called Church for the Nations. I rented this auditorium, 1,500-seat auditorium, and 63 people came so I preached my first sermon to them, 1010. I'm preaching this. So, and it didn't just sit like in the first. They scattered out through the whole auditorium. It was as pathetic as it sounds. It was just outrageously. And so I preached them. I said, my message today is 1010. 1010, what's that about? I said, we're going to be a 10,000-member church and start 10,000 churches. And so you, you had to be there. They're all looking at each other like in the room. He's been through a lot. Poor fella. I guess he doesn't realize there's 63 of us here. But, but today, 14 and a half years later, nobody's laughing. You're with me? So God did all of that. Now listen to me. Last, or two weeks ago, I preached a message called 2020. Just imagine what that is. I did that because you know you're health, healthy when your heart starts to dream again. And the dreams that God gives your heart are pictures of your future creative visions and images of your future. If you're not dreaming, you're not healthy. If you're not thinking about tomorrow, as Fleetwood Mac said, don't stop thinking about tomorrow. God's spirit, the Holy Spirit said, yeah, no kidding. 
You know you're healthy when your heart's dreaming. So God made your heart to be a dream machine. Okay? So Caleb said, I'm dreaming, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. I love passionate people because they're purposeful people. So, so, so uh, the, the anointing of Pastor Dustin and Jamie is not to babysit you into the rapture. To try to give you so many Bible studies you can't backslide. So I grew up in a church. We had church seven days a week. And the whole purpose was we don't want people to backslide. You can't backslide if you go to church every day of the week. You can't, you can't do anything, really. And, uh, but the function of the ministry is to help you find the destiny of your pastor is to help you find your destiny. So this is the, your, your pastor has a Caleb spirit, a mountain-taking spirit. So there's a certain aggression in both of your pastors that God wants to awaken in you about what you're supposed to do. It's never, it, listen, you're never too old for a new dream. You're never too old to dream again. So the Bible says, old men dream dreams. So don't tell me why I'm 65. A big deal. Caleb was 85. Abraham was 90. Okay? Don't, so, so, so don't let a chronological number steal your spiritual purpose. And so God has a mountain for you, a dream for you, a purpose for you, a calling for you, a destiny for you. And the Holy Spirit's determined for you to get it. The whole function, the Holy Spirit's poured out, and Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. This is not, this is that spoken by prophet Joel in the last days. I'll prompt my spirit upon all flesh. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Well, the whole function of prophecy, visions, and dreams is to tell you about your destiny. So the whole function of the Holy Spirit is to help you get what you were born for. You're a Joshua generation. You're a purposeful generation. And God's going to awaken things in your life. It's coming back, baby. Turn to someone and say, uh, uh, get ready to take your mountain. Just tell them that. Lift your hands to heaven. Say this out loud. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Say it with me. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to my heart about the places I'm called to, the purpose I'm called to. I receive by faith greater revelation than ever in this year what you have for my life. Show me my purpose. Show me what you've called me to. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.